Recently, in a conversation with a former godly play teacher, I heard the following story about Abraham. The godly play teacher was seated in a circle with her students when she asked them who Abraham is. He's the one who was shot in the theater, one of the students retorted. <laughs> Not that Abraham. The Abraham in question appears on our radars as a distant descendant of Noah. And I'm, I'm sure Emily got tired of me kind of raving about this all week. You know, we get the Bible kind of in bits and pieces um, in church on Sundays, and I forget about whole books of the Bible and kind of how they unfold chronologically. And it's fun, it was fun reading Genesis this week and learning that Noah, so the, the, the distance, if you're thinking chronologically, between Noah and Abraham, no, Adam and Noah is 10 generations. And the distance between Noah and Abraham is 10 generations. So they all, um, in our narrative reading of scripture, belong to the same family in some way. But Abraham, not the one who was shot, comes into and onto our radars as a distant descendant of Noah, that wise figure who spends a number of lifetimes building an ark far away from water. If he were around today, we would call him a prepper, <laughs> a person preparing for the end of the world with no signs of the end in sight. In Noah's case, however, the rain comes and the world is destroyed and yet he refuses to gloat over the tremendous loss of life. Instead, once the waters recede, he takes stones and wood and earth and builds an altar in the face of mass destruction. Noah blesses. His blessing becomes a seed of the persistence of life against all odds as his descendants eventually take up the task of repopulating the earth, of practicing the care of animals, and land first entrusted to their distant ancestors, Eve and Adam, the first humans. In Genesis, there is a pattern of God giving humans something and humans squandering it. Gift, squander, gift, squander. For instance, God invites Eve and Adam to steward and care for creation. And as we heard last week, they squandered it. God invites Noah's family to do the same. They squander it, but they squander it royally. Their version of squander, interestingly enough, is the Tower of Babel an architectural feat that seeks to concentrate human power into a single location and language. 
the hegemony and homogeny of Noah's descendants as they build a tower with its top in the heavens is an affront to Noah's God. The cycle of gift and squander in the 10 generations between Adam and Noah and the 10 generations between Noah and Abraham is a metaphor for the how of sin. How sin can quietly take hold of large swaths of human civilization almost unnoticed. Sin here in these Genesis stories is not a pronounced one-time action, but a generations-long process of atrophy, inattentiveness, and numbness. But the good news is that the love of God persists. The love of God is persistent because every time humanity pushes the limits of cruelty, isolation, and domination, God offers a dramatic course correction. Listen to the course correction God invites Abram and Sarai to take part in. Go forth from your land and your birthplace and your father's house to the land I will give you. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. This notably is a sort of anti-tower of Babel. At Babel, Noah's descendants seek through sameness and self-reliant ingenuity to make their names great. In Abram and Sarai, who will eventually be renamed Abraham and Sarah, their names will be made great, not by self-reliance and ingenuity, but by the sheer gift of God. In another stark contrast, Sarai and Abram make a leap into ambiguity when they abandon all that is familiar. They were the original Episcopalians. And some, and this is a little playful, but think, think about the moving that they had to do. The loss of their favorite ice cream shop on their favorite corner in their favorite neighborhood. If the Tower of Babel is a monument to certainty, what can be seen, measured, and quantified? Sarai and Abram's journey away from home is a movement into the unresolved, the unfamiliar, and the unknown. Counterintuitively, it is only in the unknown the surrender to mystery, the surrender to God, to ambiguity, that the course is corrected and the curse is reversed. Abram and Sarai's being, being beyond childbearing age, being droplets in the ocean of human history and existing at the edge, not the center of human civilization, are apt vignettes of God's persistent love. Through mishap after mishap, and there were plenty of mishaps and mistake after mistake, God's promise to them, I will bless you and you shall be a blessing, never dies. Its roots only grow deeper. 
the God who promises to bless the world through two unlikely figures, promises to bless the world not only through Abram and Sarai, but through you, through me. This God appears to us in dreams, in our intuition, and in prayer, saying, leave that which is familiar, your land, your birthplace, your parents' house, the markers of familiarity. Leave them and go to the place I will show you. There was no GPS. Go to the place I will show you. And we will, like Sarai and Abram, doubt, botch, and sabotage that which we've been graciously given. It's a part of being human. But then, and maybe I'm speaking for myself, our sojourn into mystery makes us want more. Not only for ourselves, but for the whole world. And cultivates within us a desire to see the hungry fed watersheds healed, and relationships mended. And then we realize, to our great surprise, that this is what we wanted all along, to receive the gifts of God in order that we might become that very gift for someone else, for something else. Amen.